Well, hi everybody, let's get started. Welcome to Open Anchor. While you're finding your seats. <laughs> hey, it's great to see you here and uh, I'm thankful that we have times like this to, uh, to really open ourselves, to really pay attention to uh, the work of Christ, but also the, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that as Christ ascended after the resurrection, He promised that He would be with us. And He would be with us even in a more personal way than He was with His disciples during His uh, time on earth. Basically, you know, in the Old Testament, they had God the Father leading them, Israel did, and it was always right here. They just looked and they were able to follow. God was in front of them. And then Christ comes in the incarnation, and I like to think that He moved from being out here to being right here, to being beside us, to God with us. And then after the resurrection, after the 40 days, and Jesus ascends back to heaven, He says, hey, I'm going to get scary close now. Right? No longer will I be out here. No longer will I even be here. But now I'll be within you. His Holy Spirit will be spent, sent to dwell within us. How crazy is that? That the Spirit of the living God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is now dwelling inside of us, with us, guiding us, guiding our thinking, guiding our, our, our speaking, our, our living, our decision making, transforming every aspect of our life. All from within us. What... What does that mean that God is willing to invest Himself in that way? In these imperfect vessels, these jars of clay, He's willing to come and invest Himself with us. That's crazy to me. Well, we're going to be talking a lot in the next 17 weeks about how God is at work through His Holy Spirit in each and every one of us and how we rightly respond to that work, how we rightly cooperate with that work of the Holy Spirit. Because if you knew that God Himself the Creator God of the universe had placed His very living Spirit within you to guide you, grow you, and transform you, to make you new. Wouldn't you be willing to cooperate with that? To go wherever God's Spirit leads you to go? To become whoever uh, it is that God's Holy Spirit is calling you to become? What would you be willing to, 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 to pay for that? What would you be willing to give up for that? I mean, wow. I think if we rightly apprehend what God is doing, what He's accomplished through Christ, and what He's doing through His Holy Spirit now, I think we will uh, kind of snap to attention and say, Yes, Lord, whatever You will for my life, I want to be there. You know, I say 90... 90 this is not a real accurate stat, but 99% of our personal calling in Christ is found in simply showing up. Basically, show up. Say, God, here I am. Send me. <laughs> That's great. All of that, everything else falls into line. Okay, I guess I'll get into my message now. Today, we are beginning a new learning adventure. A brand new learning adventure, which I'm calling Imprint 2022. The reason I'm calling it Imprint 2022 is because this series, this teaching series on the classical Christian spiritual disciplines, I've taught it before. In fact, I think I've taught it more than once because I feel like this is a subject matter that we need to revisit every few years. And I think it's been five or six years since I taught through it last. But this is, I believe, a good use of our time to talk through the actual spiritual habits, the, the Christian spiritual disciplines that have marked the, the hours of the, of the faithful for thousands of years now. The key activities that have helped drive us into the presence of God, that have helped us become more uh, accustomed to interacting, to listening, and to participating, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
The Classical Christian Spiritual Discipline. So Imprint 2022, it is a journey into the Classical Christian Spiritual Disciplines. We're going to spend some time unpacking what we mean by those words. But my hope is this. My hope is that together we will all clearly hear God's invitation. Because this isn't just Adam wanting you to do these things or the leadership team here at Hope and Anchor thinking it would be a good idea if everyone was doing these. No. Here is God's invitation. We are invited into a deeper walk with Him. We are invited to develop a stronger appetite for growth and intimacy with Him as we pursue Christ-likeness. And as we pursue Christ-likeness, as we are formed in the image of Christ, uh, we are imprinted by Him. His imprint is upon us. So, when I say imprint, what comes to mind for you? I've identified at least three different ways in which imprint is a thing. Okay, what do you think of when I say imprint? That Christ is imprinting himself upon us. What do you think of? Little baby handprints and Okay, so an impression, a pressing in, which would be kind of like the uh, pressing of a seal or, uh, uh, you know, pressure making a mark. Okay, that's the first thing I wrote down, mark, a mark upon you or, or yeah. What, uh, any other? Duckling. Huh? Duckling. Yes, I was hoping someone was, oh, I got a little excited about that, but yes, I was hoping, <laughs> I totally shouted. <laughs> yes, ducks! <laughs> yeah, ducks, what, what does it mean for a duckling to imprint upon a, its mother? Uh, I'm sorry. Anyone else want to help? <laughs> Evan out. Yeah, it's, it identifies their mother as the giver of life and the, and the guide and how we are to live. And they imprint so strongly that they'll follow their mother, the duck, everywhere it goes. And learn how to live based on how this mother lives. They imprint really strongly on their mother. Uh, the third one, anyone, any authors in here imprint? Ethan, what's an imprint? The publishing process. It's a publishing process. So uh, to, to publish a book, to, to put out there into the world a story under the imprint of this company or this publisher is to go out bearing their mark. And I like that idea that we're going out into the world living our story marked by our King, Jesus, under His authority, under His power, we go out bearing the mark of His imprint on us. So whether, whatever you fancy there, <laughs> ducks, marks, or books, yeah, there you go, imprint. So as we get started, perhaps it's best to begin by asking some questions. Think about these questions. Maybe you can write down your answer, but think about it for sure. Who are you in your life with God? Have you thought about this? Who are you? in your life with God? Who do you, how do you see yourself in your life with God? Where are you in your life with God? Some of you say, well, I feel like God is very close. Some of you might say, I feel God is far away. Some might say, I don't even know where God is right now. Some of you might say, oh, I know exactly where He is, and He's not happy. You know? So who are you in your life with God? Where are you in your life with God? And then, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your life, in your life with God right now? Are you satisfied? How would you honestly answer these questions? If I had a chance to sit with you, think about how would you answer those questions if I were to put them to you. Over the years, has anything changed in your Christian life? 
Uh, is anyone kind of feeling a little uncomfortable in this? When I was writing these, I'm thinking like, oh man, these are the kind of questions that I kind of avoid sometimes. But really, over the years, has anything changed in your Christian life? And in what ways has it changed? Has your life and your spiritual, your fidelity to Christ, has it been trending upward or downward? Would <laughs> you say, man, it's been going well or it's not been going so great? This is important that we assess these things. Here's what we know. Here's something we can know together. The world is hungry. The world is hungry for genuinely transformed people. The world is hungry for genuinely transformed people, people transformed by the gospel, not just nominal Christians. What does nominal mean? Christians in name only. Our world is filled with Christians in name only, much to our great misfortune. The world is full of Christians in name only, and very, very few are actually genuinely transformed people. And here's the deal. Christians in name only have done much damage. Christians in name only go out bearing the banner of Christ and giving Him a very bad reputation. This is how Christians, people that say they belong to Jesus, end up being so wrapped up in uh, progressive causes or in Christian nationalism, things that are, look very unlike Jesus, but they still say it's because of Jesus. And they have no idea. Christians in name only have caused so much damage. Superficiality. Superficiality is the curse of the American church. Surface level living. Being a Christian in name only. Being, uh, living in pretense. Just being superficial. It's the curse of the American church. We say we believe one thing, but we live something different. We say that Jesus is Lord, but our lifestyle reflects nothing of His Lordship. Have you seen this before? Have you recognized this before in you? That, man, I'm not living up in alignment with what I'm talking about. How has this become such a problem among Christ followers? Well, my friends, I don't think the reason or the cause is out there so much as the cause is in here. One big reason, I believe, for the pretense and the superficiality is that we have neglected the central importance of spiritual formation. Another word for spiritual formation is discipleship. We have neglected the core importance of spiritual formation and discipleships both in ourselves and in others. We don't do very good about expecting it in ourselves and we don't do very good, uh, a very good job of expecting it in others either. And I point that finger right at me. I don't feel like you uh, get the sense from me that I'm spurring you on very often. And I want to do a better job of that. Spiritual formation, discipleship, is at the heart of what it means to become a truly transformed follower of Jesus. So why is this such a big problem? Why is spiritual formation and discipleship so often neglected? Is it, is it because we think that, that it's not possible? That it's not practical? Have we thrown up our hands and said, well, we tried that and uh, it didn't work, so we're not going to try to disciple each other anymore. We're not going to try to be formed in the likeness of Christ. I don't know. Have we tried it and found it impossible or impractical or impossible? Have we forgotten what it actually means to be discipled? 
I mean, some of you can't actually think of someone who you know of or that you've been discipled by that's really growing, really been transformed. Sometimes it's really hard to find somebody that is living the life of a disciple. Perhaps we've made the life in Christ about something besides spiritual formation. Perhaps we've made the life in Christ about something other than discipleship. Because we often, because we so often lack spiritual maturity and the discipline of the Christian life, we focus more on becoming just well-behaved or living in certain modes or certain ways. Uh, we, we, we focus on doing good things instead of becoming a changed person with a transformed heart. We become shaped, uh, we, we become more uh, living outwardly in just our behaviors and, what a, and appearances rather than dwelling in that inner place that's being constantly transformed and renewed by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, shaped more and more by God's will and ultimately looking more and more like Jesus Christ. In reality, we lack a solid foundation of Scripture, prayer, and, and fruitful spiritual habits. And instead, we end up pretending. We end up mimicking others. We end up getting legalistic, or we end up just getting more and more involved in church programs. Have you ever found yourself just getting more and more involved in church stuff in order to address that sense of lack or immaturity inside yourself? You think that surely just by showing up and doing more things, that will scratch the itch, but it doesn't. But man, that can become a surrogate. It can become a substitute for what you're really craving. So we end up serving the church. We end up serving the church instead of dwelling with God. And guys, the church is a poor substitute for God himself. Being busy at church is not the same thing as dwelling with God. But here we are. We sit week after week hearing more and more sermons, attending more and more activities, yet nothing really changes. And that's frustrating, isn't it? We do more Bible studies. We involve ourselves in more and more social justice campaigns. We buy more books. We listen to more podcasts, all to no effect. And guys, that's exhausting. It's not just frustrating, it's exhausting. As a result, then, our churches are full of people who are really busy, but are growing apathetic. People who are really busy, but are unfamiliar with that which would truly give them life. They're unfamiliar with true spiritual formation, true discipleship in the way of Jesus. Increasingly, these well-intentioned, busy people They've either grown frustrated, they've settled for mediocrity, or they've just given up. They've come to assume that the life in Christ, the abundant life in Christ, is just not for them, or it's just not possible. So think about this. Think about your life. Think about your life. Are you essentially the same person now that you were when you were saved? Think back to when you first trusted in Jesus Christ and said, I will follow after Him. I will be a Christ follower. Has anything changed? More or less, are you still the same person you were when you were saved? Outside of that decision to follow after Jesus, has there been identifiable growth in you? And if so, where? Where you see growth, celebrate it. Where there's a conspicuous lack of growth, let's pay attention to that.
If you don't feel like you're changing, if you don't feel like you've grown, if you feel like you're still essentially the same person you were when you first heard about Jesus and started following after Him, if you're not satisfied with the changes you've seen in your life, would you be willing to back up? Would you be willing to back up and to honestly reevaluate some things? Would this be a good use of our time? If we could back up and start unpacking some of these things and saying, hey, maybe we've been going about this wrong. Maybe we've not been paying attention to the things that we really need to be aware of in how we follow after Jesus, the things that Jesus himself would instill in us. Maybe we've been oblivious to those things. I think it would be a good use of our time to back up, to reassess and reimagine. If the cumulative effect of all your discipleship, if the cumulative effect of all your church involvement has failed to substantially change and to grow you, it is possible that you've never fully surrendered to God. It's possible you've never fully surrendered to God and His desire to shape you and form you. If you think about all the years you've spent in church, the hundreds of sermons you've heard and Bible studies you've attended, and if there's been no substantial change in your life, we have to ask the hard question, have I ever really surrendered? Have I ever really surrendered to God and, and allowed Him to come in and renovate the place, to shape me and to form me in the likeness of Jesus? So let's be honest, while we're hammering this nail and kicking this horse, how many here, think about your life, we're gonna, I'm going to ask a scaling question, a 1 to 10 scale. How many here feel that your spiritual practices, your spiritual habits, are where you would like them to be? On a scale of 1 to 10, when you think about prayer, scripture study and meditation, fasting, serving, giving, those kind of things, on a scale of 1 to 10, what score would you give yourself? 1 being Jesus who? And 10 being, um, I make the Trinity a quartet. Um, okay, scale of 1 to 10. What score would you give yourself? How many here would we get a passing grade, which is like a 6 or higher? Okay. All right. How many would be maybe needing to do, take this class over again? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, some of us struggle on this. And, and uh, hey, you're in the right place. We're going to have a chance to grow together. So great. Don't condemn yourself here. Here's what we know. Here's the promise we have. The life in Christ, it wasn't meant to be frustrating. Okay? The life in Christ was not meant to be frustrating. It was not meant to be lackluster. Your life as a follower of Jesus was not intended to be mired in mediocrity. Your lot in following Jesus is not to struggle simply to grow and to become more like Him. God desires this. God, He desires these things for you. Why else would God say, uh, I've got this idea for an abundant life? That those who are in Jesus Christ will find an abundant life. That we would dwell together in this dynamic, life-giving relationship together. The way God explains what life with Him ought to be like, the way Jesus explains what life with Him ought to be like, that's attractive. And when it looks far different than the life we're experiencing, we need to make an honest assessment. Is it me or is it Jesus? Well, it's probably me. So what can I do to orient myself, to place myself in the ray of the sun and make sure I'm available to what God wants to do? Let's read together John 10, verse 6 through 10. I think we have that on the, on the computer. John 10, 6 through 10. Listen to what, 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 what 
Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained to them it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who came, come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And let's read this last part together. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. Jesus' desire is for you to come to him and find, to discover, to enjoy a rich and satisfying life. Your Bible translation might say, a life abundantly. That sounds great. Oftentimes sounds different than what we've experienced, but this is what is on offer to us in Christ. Jesus' hope is for our lives now to resemble and prepare us for life with Him in eternity. For us to follow after Him and find ourselves becoming increasingly outfitted for life in His kingdom. This is what Jesus is up to. This is why He sent His Holy Spirit, that we would become more like Him and better equipped better accustomed to outfitted for life in his kingdom. So, let's start here. We're going to spend some time with the Apostle Paul today. <coughs> let's recall what the life in Christ actually is all about. Here we find Paul's wisdom about the life in Christ. And we find in Romans chapter 7, and then we'll get into verse eight or chapter 8, but we find that Paul identifies this cycle. We move in Christ from death to life, and then once we've been moved into life, we're confronted with our sin, which is another sort of death. But then we're brought back into life through the Spirit. So it's like life to death, life to death, life to death. We're constantly being grown. We're constantly running into conflict within ourselves. And we're growing through it and being brought back to life, which is pretty great. So Romans 7, 1 through 6. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, now this is kind of an odd example, but it makes sense later on. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my bro dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Uh, is that it? Oh yeah, that is it. So... We see Paul is starting to understand who we are when we come to Christ and what Christ affects in us and then how we kind of move through this cycle of death to life, sin to spirit. <coughs> in surrendering to Jesus, we are no longer married to the law. We're no longer married to the, the law and its power, uh, which only bore fruit for death. But we have become, through faith, married to Christ Jesus, and now we are invited, made capable of bearing fruit for God. Do you see the difference? That in the law, we just bore death for fruit, but now, because of Christ, we're able to bear fruit for God. And then in trusting Christ, through His death and His resurrection, we've died to the law of sin and death, and we now are free to live in the law of the Spirit and of life. But here's the thing that Paul will go on to point out. Those who commit to the life in Christ soon discover the intense struggle between the new way of life 
and the old flesh, the old sin habits that we carry with us. Does anyone have sin habits? <laughs> Persistent sin in your life that you're like, uh, is this because I know Jesus? <clears throat> Because I have a sense of who He's called me to be that now this really bothers me and I find out just how entrenched this is in me? Ah, guys, know this. It's not failure on your part to become aware of sin patterns in your life. This is actually one of the crucial fundamental works of the Spirit in your life. You start to be able to see like, ugh, this is still here? Why do I struggle so badly with this, uh, this entrenched sin habit, this, this flesh habit? Romans 7, uh, 14 through 25. So the trouble, Paul says, is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. Does anyone resonate with Paul here? He's like, he knows. Paul knows. <laughs> he sees this. But this is the Paul. He had a capital A apostle <laughs> title. And he still struggles with this. He recognizes this in him. But Paul goes on in verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. A lot of tension here. Paul describing this struggle, this ongoing struggle that he's encountered in following Jesus, the struggle between his flesh and the Spirit. Choosing to follow Jesus and to be his disciples, it is a lot like uh, starting to work out. It's starting to uh, uh, force discipline on yourself to get back into shape after a long sedentary winter spent on the couch, right? Uh, you have to overcome a sort of inertia, the inertia of inactivity. So we do. We start following Jesus and then we're confronted with um, our sedentary lifestyle, spiritually speaking. There's, there is pain in forcing a new activity on your body. With it comes new movements and greater intensity and longer duration. And we naturally resist the growth because why? It's hard. <laughs> we don't like it. It causes pain. It causes discomfort. It's difficult because we've not been doing it before. You know, I'm a runner, and uh, I talk to a lot of people about running. They're like, oh, I, I don't like to run. It hurts my knees. Or uh, I just can't run very far because I get out of breath. And it's like, but if you keep running, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> you learn how to breathe, and you don't die usually. Most of the time. 
Here's the thing, as with physical exercise, also with spiritual exercise, as you continue, new habits are increasingly replaced with the old. The struggle lessens, doesn't disappear, but it lessens to stay inactive. I mean, the couch is still attractive, right? For runners and non-runners alike. But the draw, the struggle is less, and the enjoyment and the reward increases, right? Has anyone ever gone through this process before? You look at yourself after the long winter and you're all pasty and like, you know, uh, I need to lose some weight, I need to get a new outfit, I need to get back to Planet Fitness, you know, whatever. And uh, you decide, and it's terrible. The well, it's actually not terrible the first day. The first day you're like, this is great, I love it. But by the second or third day, it's like, this is hell. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah, but if you persevere through that, you find that you're starting to uh, enjoy it. You start uh, reaping some benefits. You notice a new level of spiritual fitness and an ability uh, but you also become more aware of and unhappy with those areas of lingering stagnation and flabbiness in your life, right? So physically and spiritually both. As you become more tuned in and more engaged in uh, improvement, in becoming something new, you start to notice those areas that don't want to cooperate, those parts that linger on, the, the stagnation and the flabbiness. Overcoming desires and habits of the sinful flesh, it's difficult and it requires lots of humility. And guys, it requires a lifelong discipline. Trusting in the Holy Spirit's guidance, trusting in the Holy Spirit's strength day after day until you die. So be encouraged, right? <laughs> this is a struggle that will never completely go away. But we have to learn to trust in the Holy Spirit's guidance and strength. I love what Paul says in uh, verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me? Have you ever reached that point of exasperation? It's like, seriously, still? After all this, I still struggle? I'm still struggling with this... This, this, this basic sin in my life that I've been struggling with since I was a teenager? Really? Why does God allow this persist, to persist in me? We can hear Paul say, and we can say it with our own mouth, I am such a miserable person. Who will free me from this life marked by sin and death? As Paul pursued Christ's likeness, he was consistently, constantly reminded of his lingering sin nature and his tendency toward unhealthy appetites. But, get this, here is some encouragement. I want to give you some encouragement here. While these sin habits, your sin habits, your desires of the flesh, while they will never go away completely, they will lose hold on you. They won't become so deeply entrenched and have so much control over you. Uh, they will no longer possess you as you learn to instead walk more and more in the power of the Spirit. So that's encouraging, right? Yeah, you're still going to battle, but the more you press into the life with the Spirit and start establishing new habits, they don't have as much hold over you. They don't control you as much. That's encouraging. But here's something even more encouraging. The battle with your flesh, the battle with your sin habits in the pursuit of Christ's life, this, the reason you're doing this, the reason you're developing spiritual habits to overcome these old uh, appetites of the flesh it is because you have decided to pursue Christ-likeness. It is because you have decided uh, you want more spiritual maturity. It is not a battle to earn your salvation. Can I be very clear about this? We don't have to get serious about the life and the Spirit in order to be saved. This Spiritual Disciplines teaching series and that your investment in the 
Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines, is not about earning your salvation. It is not about getting God to like you or to accept you. Okay? Hear me say that clearly. It is not how we are saved. God doesn't like wait for you to get super duper serious and then he's like, okay, I kind of like you now. I can tolerate you, so come on in. I'll save you now. No, we don't do this in order to be saved. Jesus not only died in your place to atone for your sins on the cross, Jesus lived the perfect life in your place to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. This is why keeping the law perfectly is not up to you because Jesus came and substitutionarily lived the life you couldn't live and he met the righteous requirement of the law on your behalf. So Jesus' finished work of atonement did not just include the cross. Jesus' finished work of atonement also includes his life among us. He lived a life that was free from sin, the life pleasing to God, and the life that He is able to now bestow upon us in His righteousness so that we have right standing with God. That's encouraging, guys, isn't it? That it's a righteousness bestowed, that Jesus, through His perfect life, death, and resurrection, has clothed us in His righteousness, now, that we, now then we can stand before the Father and be welcomed in. Because of Christ and His righteousness, that's encouraging. The battle is already won. Jesus has won the victory for us. Woo! Right? Now, what Paul does here as he gets into chapter 8 of Romans is you start to see, he just finished up saying like, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life marked by sin and death? Uh, but then he gets to Romans 8 verse 1 and he talks about the power of Christ, how it puts sin to death, and now there is no condemnation for all those who trust in Him. Look at this, 8, 1 uh, through 11. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about the sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. Key takeaway. It's all about Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, right? It is He who frees us, who brings us back to life, that uh, loosens us from the control of sin in our life. We don't have to live stuck in Romans 7, 14 through 25. 
We don't have to live camped out there. We can start living today in Romans chapter 8. You, me, all of us, we can start through faith in Jesus, start living in Romans 8, 1 through 11, right here and now. A transformed heart is possible. Good news. A transformed heart is possible. The life in the Holy Spirit, it is made possible by Christ for you. These things are possible. Throughout the centuries, Christians, our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world, they have practiced spiritual habits or disciplines that have facilitated vibrant spiritual growth and maturity. Over the next several weeks, we will explore these practices called spiritual disciplines. And the spiritual disciplines we're going to spend time talking about include uh, the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the shared disciplines. Okay, the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the shared disciplines. The inward disciplines include scripture meditation and scripture study, prayer, and fasting. The outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then the shared disciplines of confession, of worship, and of celebration. These are going to be the stopping points in our journey as we learn together, as we grow together. But we're going to start with the inward, then we're going to talk about the outward, and then the shared. So, let's prepare the soil of our mind and our hearts today. Begin by thinking about this past year. Let's just limit it to this past year. Let's begin with taking an inventory of sorts. Look, look deeply into your heart and take an inventory. What has changed? in your life with God in this past year. Think about what you've been through, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows. What's changed in your life with God? Track it. Where's it been? How's it been trending? Think about your trust and your confidence in Jesus and His promises that He's made to you. Are you trusting more? Are you trusting less? Are you living more in alignment with it as if you believe it or less? Be honest in your assessment. Think about your interaction with others. Think about how the Spirit of God living in you is leading you to interact with others. Are you becoming more forgiving? Are you becoming a more welcoming person? What do you think your closest friends would say about your life? Are you bearing fruit? As a follower of Jesus, are you bearing spiritual fruit? Are you becoming more fluent in things like love, joy, peace, and patience? Is there been has there been growth? Has there been stagnation? Has there been decline? Are you angrier now than you were a year ago? Think about these things. Do you experience on a regular basis a, a real sense of connection with God in your prayer life? Do relationships improve and do things change for the better with you around? Are you becoming through the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life a more catalytic person that changes things for the better wherever you go? Is the vitality and the power of your relationship with God, is it affecting anyone else around you? I mean, some of us really like to keep our walk with Jesus, our spiritual life private. <laughs> but man, what a waste. People should be blessed. People should be, uh, uh, feel conviction in the light of how you're living, right? Is anyone around you being affected by your faith in Jesus, your relationship with God? So these are hard questions, I know, but I think it points out the need for a series like this 
Over the next 17 weeks, or, uh, we are, over the next 17 weeks, uh, we can cooperate with God. We can cooperate with God and we can be available to and participate in His desire to shape us and form us. And in 17 short weeks from now, we could be able to say, I have grown. I have developed habits that have drawn me deeper into the life with Christ. And I'm thankful for it. So, how will you do that? How will you invite the Holy Spirit to change you and to transform you? more into the likeness of Jesus? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to, to sacrifice? How will you commit to developing new spiritual habits in order to cultivate a more vibrant, interactive, and mature life in Christ? Are you ready? Are you ready to grow beyond the stagnant religion and legalism that has thus far marked your life? Let's agree to do whatever is necessary to begin walking more fully with the Holy Spirit. Let's, do, let's agree to do whatever is necessary to be more available and responsive to God and His will for us in our lives. Now, heads up. Remember what Paul said. Heads up. We will all still struggle with sin. In fact, as you press more into the life with Christ and start developing these spiritual habits, your battle will, become, will come into sharper relief. Don't be surprised if your flesh rises up in rebellion. You will still struggle with sin. You will still get frustrated. You will be frustrated with your sin habits. You will be frustrated with your lack of discipline. But get this, God is faithful. God is faithful to bring to completion the good work He's begun in you in Christ Jesus. And do not forget, the victory is already won. You're already accepted. Christ has already clothed you in His righteousness. The battle is won. The victory is already ours. Like Paul, we can begin, we will begin to see our situation more clearly and we will understand more fully what Jesus has done for us and what God desires to do in us and through us for His glory and for our good. And then we will shout with Paul, Thank God. Thank God! Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord to the glory of God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to stand before you today and just acknowledge your goodness and your, uh, your kindness, but also your intentions. Your word makes it clear that you intend to grow us. You intend to abide with us. You intend to shape us more like Jesus and to help us become more... Um, acclimated to life in this kingdom. God, I'm sorry for the ways that I've been resistant to that work. Through laziness, through inattentiveness, through uh, uh, disobedience or just uh, hard-heartedness. God, I've oftentimes not been available to the work that you've been holding out to me right there. And so I pray that you'd uh, soften my heart, that you'd give me an appetite for the things that lead to life. And I pray that same thing for my friends here today. Because I know that... Uh, this isn't just a message for me. I think this is a message for all of us. Not many of us are satisfied with where we are in our life with Christ. We're not satisfied with the fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in us. God, I pray that you would give us a gardener's heart that is willing to do the hard work of turning the soil, of, of removing the rocks and pulling the weeds and the thorns, all those things that make uh, the soil of our heart and of our soul unproductive, resistant to your work. God, cultivate in us the good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that you desire. But God, first, help us 
be willing to commit to, 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 to battle against those old flesh habits that will still persist. And God, when they do rise up, when they do cause feelings of frustration, I pray that we would gather those things up and offer them to you and say, Jesus, transform these too. Let every struggle remind us as a bell tolling in a church tower, as a reminder of our need for you, that it would drive us to you more and more. God, grow us and shape us. God, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more and more available to the work of the Holy Spirit. God, we want to live in alignment with your transforming work. You've called us from death into life. And so, God, I pray that we would be participant, pliable in that work. Pray for my friends here. I pray that they'd be uh, ready for this, that they'd be ready to jump in and to, to do, the, do the work of, uh, uh, of discipline, of starting a spiritual fitness routine. So God, guide us in this. Give us hope, we ask. I pray for my friends who've never followed Jesus. I pray they'd hear today's talk as an invitation. God is desiring you to follow Jesus so that you become more like Him and find your place in His home. You belong in God's family, and it starts with faith in Jesus. So that can happen today. God, we lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song. This is a time to sit with the Lord. Maybe prepare yourself. Maybe lay down your arms and just say, hey, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever it is you want to do next in my life. Some of you heard some of these disciplines, prayer, fasting, scripture study, and you said, yes, that's what I need. Simplicity, solitude. There's even a spiritual discipline of silence. Some of you are like, oh, I want my kids to learn that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, there's so much here for all of us, and I pray that you'd be that you would show up because God will do something amazing with us. So as we pray, I'll be at the back if you'd like to pray. Curtis is back there too, but really make the most of this opportunity.